0: Another week of off-air, and can I just say this is the first time this month that we have been on time. So I apologise, our behaviour has been abhorrent, both of our mums are very upset with us, but thank you for sticking with us. I am Nick Stewart. As always, myself and Tim Rubin are going to dive into three big topics that are affecting Australians this week. Viewing it through the lens of our 20 years of media experience, 20 plus years combined. We've both been doing it for far too long. We need to go get real jobs. This week, we have a look at food courier services in Australia. Workers' rights haven't really been protected in this industry so far or regulated in any way. There's a bridge in Tasmania with a controversial name and they're looking to change it. Plus, drink spiking. There hasn't been any new research in Australia on drink spiking in 16 years. People are heavily discouraged from actually reporting it. This is a big problem, and we want to find out what needs to be done moving forward
1: to empower people. What is our mandate? Tim Rubin. It's super creepy to reanimate somebody's dead father for their birthday. Nick Stewart. I really leaned into trying to get radicalised by ISIS. You're listening to Off Air. I
0: believe it's this.
1: We're on. Tim Rubin, how are you? Hello, I'm good. I'm glad that we made this happen, because apparently, what's happening with daylight savings now? (laughs) We've... <laughs> what, what, the
0: fact we're on the same timeline? Yeah, I get a message from you this morning going, so is my one o'clock your 12th? Mate, it finished a fortnight ago. <laughs> the only thing I can think is that because we're so digital now, you didn't have to turn a clock back.
1: No, I didn't turn any clocks back. But I also yeah. just, I don't know what happens with Queensland anymore. It's been a long time since I lived there. Nothing know.
0: happens with Queensland. That's what <laughs> happens. That's the great mystery. It's what I, when you said welcome to the party in the message.
1: The party's always been here, my friend. We don't change our times. It's you people that do. And also, I've never changed my times messaging you because when we schedule our podcast, we generally go off my time. I know. I just
0: you, fall into your because time. Queenslanders because
1: Queenslanders just get used to doing the math in their head. So I I was like, how's one o'clock my time? And you're like, that's one o'clock my time too.
0: <laughs> no, it was because you said, so 12 your time, one my time. And I was like, well, this is not going to fucking
1: work. All right. Well, anyway, I'm glad that we figured out that. Um, We're in the same timeline, mate. It's going well. Are you good? Are you well? What's the latest? I am well. Uh,
0: Mask free as of tomorrow. We've been masking up for the past two weeks. Uh, so it'll be nice to get rid of that. I haven't been able to wear my glasses very much. Uh I wasn't aware of that heading into the mask saga. Yeah, yeah. I could have told you, but I wanted it to be a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Other than that, no, life's been very good. We've had a lot of friends up uh, recently, so people visiting Toowoomba, and Toowoomba is the least Queensland town I have ever lived in in terms of climate because it's up on the mountains, mm-hmm. it's actually very picturesque and beautiful, and it's not a seaside town. And the weather fluctuates, so I'm really enjoying having autumn because it's a foreign concept to most Queenslanders. So having beautiful, crisp, clear days and the um, leaves are starting to fall
1: off the trees, it's really pretty. I've um, I've been to Toowoomba before. You lived there. I've been there once. I had a I had a partner who um, was born in Toowoomba. This is when I was in my early twenties. And, um, the one thing that I remember about Toowoomba, so we were going there for the first time. Um, I was going to meet the family and everything. And so I went onto the website, the Toowoomba tourist, whatever it is, website, visit Toowoomba. And, uh, at the very top of the list for tourism, the number one thing I was like, what's this going to be? Cobb Co Museum, the number one largest horse-drawn carriage collection in the Southern Hemisphere. And then I was very ex- I was more excited to see the Australian Roads and Transport Museum, home of the second largest collection of horse-drawn carriages in the southern hemisphere. What is with bloody Toowoomba and horse-drawn carriage collections? Do you have a personal one? Are people it's just an old cr- town. I, do, I mean,
0: we still use them, yeah, constantly. <laughs> I've got my horses sitting down outside the
1: building at the moment, so I've got to go put some money in their mouths soon for the for the meat. the <laughs> I love that. I love that there are warring horse-drawn carriage museums.
0: Um, That's the second cool thing. The first cool thing is the original mayor of Toowoomba. I believe he was also premier of Queensland at one point, and he was a scoundrel, Tim. He was once caught running down the main street of Toowoomba, Ruthven Street, wearing only a hat, because a man had found him in bed with his wife and oh. chased him down the street. <laughs> and he'd been to jail multiple times. So <laughs> it's a very Queensland story. Great. That's it's brilliant. also a very mayor story.
1: Yeah, you see a lot of mayors are very corrupt. I'm going I'm gonna get into politics for all that. Oh man! Story number one.
0: A few months ago, you brought to everyone's attention, Tim, um, the, the massive, massive issue with the gig economy at the moment in Australia, specifically around food couriers. Uh, and it, I was blown away when you pulled out the fact that one food courier is dry, dying on our roads every single week. But it makes a lot of sense when you broke it down because it, it attracts a lot of migrant workers. They're not paid very much. There's no workers' rights. Um, it's a really horrible situation. There was some good news this week because Menulog announced that they are going to employ their couriers. So they are going to work towards employing the majority of their couriers so that these people uh, have rights. When, and you say, when, when
1: you say employ their couriers, I mean, people are employed at the moment. You mean that's right. not, as a, get, not as a contractor, take them on time as a full-time or a part-time or staff-time? A, a semi-permanent worker? part-time or a full-time employee uh-huh. so that
0: they get workers'
1: benefits. They'll be entitled to sick
0: leave. Uh, they'll also be entitled to insurance under the company.
1: Wow. Okay. That's great.
0: It is. It's really good news. Uh, it's, it's also interesting though, because it has been met with a little bit of backlash uh, from other companies saying that they can't do this or they can't match this and still charge the same amount they're charging now. And it turns out Menulog will probably increase their pricing as well. First thing I wanted to know is would you be willing to pay more for an ethical food delivery service?
1: Yeah, I would. This is so. so um, like you said at the start, this is something that we brought onto the podcast a couple of months ago, and I remember when the news story broke, and it was something that was that I had no idea about until I saw uh, this one story pop up. I th- believe that it was on a website called The Conversation that looked into the fact that these drivers, A, have no rights, and B, because of the pressures that they're under, like they're they're riding around on, I mean, sometimes mopeds, but usually just regular bicycles on yeah. crazy busy city streets. And they're doing it under, ins- because they're paid per delivery as compared to being paid for their their time. So their pressure is to drive as fast as they can or ride as fast as they can. And if they don't, then they're like they're making such a small amount of money that essentially they they will starve. Mm. So the pressure is work hard, ride fast. And what that creates is a situation where people get hit by cars. And like you said, we are at a rate earlier this year. I'm not sure what it's at right now. One person a week was dying on the roads. Who was delivering food? Yeah. So, the, so it's a great question. Would I be willing to pay more? And this is a question that pains me horribly, Nick, because it forces me to look at myself in the mirror and it exposes a terrible part that I'm quite embarrassed about. Because we have this podcast where we talk about all of these rights and we talk about doing the right thing in the world. And I like the idea of believing that I'm a good person who's having a positive impact on the planet. And I try my very best to do that. But when you boil it down to the question, how much more would you be willing to pay for someone to deliver me a hamburger and for them to have sick leave and insurance? Two or three. What's your number, Two Tim? Two three more dollars. Like at the moment, it's wow. five dollars well delivery. It's five dollars delivery now. probably as an average. Yeah, I can imagine myself paying seven or eight. How much do you get food delivered? Oh, um, maybe once a week. Okay. Yeah. How? Okay. Is that terrible? What? Do, is, no. Is that no, no? No.
0: It's not. No, it's not terrible. I think the more terrible. Ah, oh, I don't want to say we all have personal responsibility for our decisions and we all make those decisions. I would like to think we live in a country which doesn't allow this industry to manifest. I would like to think as a collective Australians, because this is a really, really cutthroat level of capitalism, yep. in my opinion, that has evolved from America where they are cutthroat capitalists. Yes. I would think that we would have government intervention that would step in and protect these people and ensure that there is a correct rate paid because there is no doubt that these people are getting paid below a livable wage and below a minimum wage
1: at the moment. Yeah. Can I ask, because you you made me do it, Yeah. how much more would you pay?
0: I would uh, – see, for me it goes two ways. I had, Jazz and I have really, we were really into food delivery, probably more so at the start of the pandemic. Um, I can't, I honestly can't remember the last time I've even had food delivered, but that's more just from the perspective of, we don't want to pay any fees, if that makes right. sense. Like we're, we're, we're in a situation where that, we can
1: go out and get it. And also when you live in Toowoomba, um, and cause I was living in Bendigo, it's- yeah. It's five minutes. Everywhere Everywhere's, exactly. everywhere's yeah. five minutes, really. Um, yeah. But sometimes, I, like we last got it on Sunday morning. We had had like a big day with drinking involved. We weren't necessarily hungry, You know when you're just tired? Like yeah. it's alcohol tired, but just genuinely tired. We had like a big event on Saturday. We'd woken up on Sunday. We'd picked a movie. We'd put it on our laptop and we were like, should we get breakfast in bed? And so that was the last time that we did it. And in that situation it was worth a lot to me because it w- it wasn't just can I be well, bothered to. Well that's the jump, thing. So you would have paid that's the other thing I
0: was going to ma- say is for me as the consumer the money part is ultimately irrelevant because the second I have opened the app I've committed myself to spending x amount of dollars. If yeah. that makes sense, so by the point I'm on the app and I'm ordering the food, I probably wouldn't blink twice uh, at, at whatever the delivery fee what do you is because I want whatever. That... at whatever exactly. Okay, I am so going to pay. Fuck it,
1: anything. It's ten dollar yeah. delivery. You're fine. I'm fine. I would do that one hundred percent if it's I'm ordering forty five bucks. It's fifteen dollars. Yet you're ordering <sighs> twenty dollars each plus I forty five dollars worth of food. It's fifteen dollars delivery.
0: That's probably my line. But if it was over that, I'd just get in the car. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, if it it, it wouldn't wouldn't be a switch to a different app. Exactly right. Where it was because I don't think, I think menu log in general does a better job than most at actually, because the other side of this is most restaurateurs that I've spoken to. Um, don't get paid enough money to do Uber Eats. Like There, there isn't a strong enough benefit to the actual restaurants. They, uh-huh. they don't make a great sum of money off doing this. And the quality of their food, they often find they get a lot of negative reviews because their food's been sitting in the car for half an hour before it gets to the person. Because
1: people who are doing the deliveries are trying to double up and they'll pick exactly. up a whole bunch of them so that they can make it more efficient for them. What you've done with your answer by saying, well, I would pay X amount, but if it was higher... I would get in the car. What you've done is you've highlighted that there's a problem with the situation at the moment where there isn't actually that choice at all. So right now we're choosing between three or four bad options, all of which are committing the same, uh, really like atrocities to Australian workers that that have avoided Mm. um, the systems that we as Australians have created. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see if this move by menu log attracts a whole bunch of usage Or if they crash and burn because nobody wants to spend the extra money. It's very,
0: I understand what you're saying, but those jobs will then move elsewhere. Like, I don't think that these people, like these are generally immigrants to our country or people that are involved in the gig economy are fucking hard workers. Yeah. And they will find other industries in which to to implant themselves. So oh, that it could potentially benefit them more. But
1: if Menulog goes down, it's just going to, the same amount of people. It, are gonna, it'll just go to Uber and Eats. And most yeah. of these people have all of the apps on their phone and are working for all three of those companies and switching between the three. Does Menulog, I guess this is the big question is what is the dollar amount? Does Menulog say? No, they haven't released any statement uh, as of yet but i
0: did want to point out cuz cuz i think we can put a uh, i think we can put a pin in this story and say look yeah there's 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 always a cost to convenience right mm-hmm. like there's always going to be a cost to convenience but i thought it was interesting um kate white commented on the facebook group cuz i popped it up
1: in there and she said it's this is our, only because the podcast community get involved if you're not yeah. in it yet then you can get in you can share your thoughts sorry nick go on it's a great place,
0: please people comment on my post. I'm
1: feeling very unloved
0: at the moment. uh she said this is only because the union fought them hard and won uh and she said, love how menu log are now saying we're saints look what we're doing for the workers. She is actually fairly correct there. the transport workers union uh did rally very hard, and I thought that that was an interesting comment and interesting to see the union's input because when we had this initial discussion six months ago, I said... This wow. will only improve with union intervention. Yeah. Because this is the point of unions is to protect workers in this country. And it's and it's the reason that unions are relevant to rally against capitalist companies.
1: Uh, yeah. The, the thing that I would throw in as well is that this is another example. And I don't want to be too nihilistic like 10 minutes into the podcast, but this is another <laughs> example of the fact that governments are essentially outdated. Like they're <laughs> they not. We've had so many discussions, and normally it's when we start speaking about things in the tech world where governments are literally just left scratching their heads, Facebook pulling mm. every single news site off Facebook and governments backflipping to try and cower to them. It's another example. I mean, the entire I mean we're talking about Uber Eats right now, but the whole Uber concept is completely illegal. We used to have taxi licenses. Uber mm. came in, the governments said, this is illegal. Uber said, thanks, but no thanks. And everybody started catching Ubers because they were cheaper. So it's another example yeah. of a way where like, governments are just being left behind. I think that something has to happen around this space that governments need to start picking up their act in general. Is it, is it governments or is it government- what do you mean? What, That's why only like. I is mean, it is, our it, is it
0: governments or is it our current government? <laughs> <'Cause Yeah.
1: laughs> but they've done this everywhere. There's Uber everywhere, or there's a variation. Yeah, but of it other everywhere. countries,
0: other countries have different. Um, like in America, it's not the fact the government's being left behind; it's the fact that the government's fine for this to happen. Right? They're happy. They're for shit to shit to
1: begin with. <laughs> exactly.
0: So, <laughs> like, I, I I query whether it's governments or for Australia whether it's our government. Mm. And the fact it is a very um, conservative capitalist government, and it's probably happy to let these things skate through the side. Uh, you know, it's it's a deeper question, but it's where you want to feel pain in society. You know what I mean? Like oh. when when I think of capitalism, I think you you have a really direct experience with people suffering yeah, as opposed to other types of government where maybe Uber never exists. So yeah, these people haven't necessarily gotten jobs in the first place, but at least they're not dying on the roads. Does that make sense? I mean, that's a pretty simple way to round it up. But It's simple and it's dark
1: and I understand what you're saying, I think. <laughs> Story number two. Nick, I'm going to give you and our other Queensland friends a little baby history lesson for the start of this. Um... I don't mean to demean your intelligence, but it's a Victoria thing. Uh, John Batman was an Australian grazier and explorer, and he's basically credited for founding Melbourne. I'm not sure if you have heard of him before. No, I have not. Okay. So he he founded Melbourne, um, and he was also pivotal in Tasmania, lived in Tasmania for a large period of time. Um, There is a major Melbourne road named after him. Uh, There was an electorate named after him. And at the moment, there is a bridge in Launceston named Batman Bridge. Um, But Australia has a very dark history, as we all know. And uh, lately, a topic of discussion that has been arising has been the terrible things that John Batman did, including the capture and murder of Indigenous people. Like, really terrible things. And so, with that in mind, there is currently a push in Launceston to rename the Batman Bridge... And at the moment, it is passed in local council. So the council's behind it. And it's currently being taken to the state government for a decision to be made. Quick side note, state government in Tasmania it just means they've got to go down the road and check with Hobart. It's not, like a, <laughs> it's, it's not a big process like it is in Queensland no. or Victoria or New South Wales. <laughs> so, Nick, we've had chats about this type of thing before on this podcast, mainly about um, US and European statues and art being removed and covered up. And the question now about is about how we reflect on our history in Australia correctly. So I would love to know, what are your thoughts on the fact that this is happening here in Australia? I think it's great the conversation's
0: happening. I think it's really important that we talk about these things openly and we can have an open dialogue around it. I really backflip on it. I go back and forth. I was really trying to collect my thoughts because uh, I saw you put this in the Facebook group this morning, and, and I my initial mind jumped to uh, Uluru and the fact that in the '90s we changed the name of Ezrock to Uluru, or it was the early 2000s, but it was a long time ago, and it's basically been 100 percent adopted. Mm-hmm. I never even hear people refer to it as Ezrock anymore. And but if they do, I, it's
1: actually a statement as well. Like people yeah, don't really yeah. do that by mistake. If someone says no. Air's Rock, they're doing it on purpose. They're intentionally Normally. trying yeah. to inflame a situation
0: yeah. or or to say that no, it's still the white man's thing. And I thought about that and I thought, well, that was a really great thing. It was fantastic of us to give ownership um to the to the First Nations name, because one of the biggest atrocities that occurred in Australia was loss of language because with loss of language comes loss of identity. And because Australia was not a singular country, it was it was a series of different groups of people that had their own independent cultural systems, independent languages, and, and all, nearly all of those languages were lost. Uh, when I lived in Bundaberg, one of the most significant things that happened in my time there was the First Nations people reclaimed their language. Wow. They actually managed to find enough to recreate their language and make it part of their vernacular again. And that was an amazing thing because we're tied to our words. But when it comes to a bridge, that bridge never had a traditional landowner's name. That bridge never existed prior to someone building it. And that's where I go, what do you call the bridge? Because that bridge would not have a First Nations person's name. So do you rename it to someone culturally significant now? Or do you choose someone that would better fit that from history? And in eradicating this history, are we are we erratic, Do we want to eradicate the atrocities that happened to First Nations people? Mm. They're the questions that I sort of weigh up when this action happens. I'm not in. I I, I am not super invested in in whether the bridge changes names or not because I don't live there and it's not going to have a direct effect. But I'm curious to know what you evolve it to and what part of history are you
1: taking away as a result? I think it's, um, I mean, it sounds really funny to say, but the fact that it's a bridge is actually really pivotal to this discussion because exactly like you said, it's uh, Uluru was something that was freestanding and had a name before and was renamed when Mm. white people arrived. Um... The fact that it's a bridge is two things in my mind that set it apart. The first is, like you said, it didn't exist beforehand, so it was named essentially recently in modern history. The second thing about the fact that it's a bridge is... (laughs) It's such a boring note to be... uh, The second thing about its bridginess um, is the fact that we've previously had this conversation around statues. Um, mm. and their importance. And I think that a statue, um, and some type of commemorative artwork, uh, a plaque, anything like that, is essentially a, a, is essentially a celebration of somebody. And I can totally understand the removal of something that idolises and celebrates a person who was terrible. However, a bridge is not necessarily a celebration. It's just a thing. And so there is definitely a movement of where that line is in the sand of saying, are we removing anything that has cultural significance, that has a throwback, a hark to some of the atrocities of our past? And are we then potentially erasing some of our history? Or are we moving in the right direction? So the fact that it's a bridge I think actually makes it way more interesting than if it was It a... makes it more challenging. Yeah. It makes it a, a more difficult
0: thing to try to work out. And uh, I guess is the bridge, is the fact that this bridge is named after this man, A, do many people know that? And B, is that causing they do significant now. harm? They do now in well, They, do now, they do now because of this story. Um, but, but well, again, at what point do we rename towns and at what point do we, do we apply this to other countries? Mm-hmm. And at what point does this then, because I got to be honest, most of history is full of really
1: shit stuff. It's dark. <laughs> it's very it's, dark. So Yeah, it is. So the question then becomes, I mean, you and I both lived in Townsville. And Which
0: is named after the man who is uh, Robert
1: Towns, who essentially invented modern slave trade. And that's where Townsville comes from. And yes. so it's, it's, it's so rife. And once you start, you can't stop. So the mm. question is, is that a good thing? Like, should we, do we just go, okay, we rename everything? Like, is that bad? Last week on the podcast, we spoke about Daryl Summers being... Was it last week or maybe the week before? Two weeks ago, Daryl Summers from Hey Hey, It's Saturday saying, well, we used to be able to do these types of jokes and they were offensive, but I didn't care. And it's sad that we can't do that anymore. And my point was Mm -hmm. how wonderful that we've moved forward so far. Shouldn't we be open-minded enough to go, hey, this is great. We've learned something and now we're in a different place. Is it sad to change the name of a bridge? Like, I don't care. It's a bridge. And and to then extrapolate that and continue and go, okay, do we change the name of townsville do we keep on ch- like or is that or it, it, do we need to accept that this is a part of the society that we live in
0: i guess it's interesting <laughs> a we're a young country and and we are in control of our destiny we are an incredibly young culture in the grand scheme of things obviously first nations people are one of the oldest cultures but i would say that the first 200 years of, of uh, white man intervention has been pretty much based around trying to eradicate the, the history yeah. of that older culture. So when I say that we're a young country, I mean, in terms of the, the concept of Australia is quite young and what it means to be Australian is quite young. So no, in that respect, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. But I think you've got to ask the question as well is, I what I also don't think is everyone that is living up in Townsville and has lived up in Townsville associates the name Townsville with slave trade. Like, I think you have a whole host of people up Mm. there that live there and they associate Townsville with where their children were born, where their parents lived, where they got married, where they spent their formative years.
1: Now, now now there is a spanner that I need to throw in the works for that. And uh, that argument of well, the people that live in Townsville don't see it like that, and the people that live in Launceston don't think of the bridge like that. But what about the indigenous mm. people who do? And when I play the empathy game, which I think is an important mm. game to play, and for me, the easiest way for me to do this scenario is uh, my fa- I have Jewish heritage. My family is Jewish. I identify as Jewish-ish. Mm. Yeah ish. Yeah, I think the ish is that there's a big ish there. I use there. the ish more than other people. But no, no, no. My, my family is Jewish. Um, and if I were to travel to uh, Germany, for example, and there was Hitler Square with a statue of Hitler or something, I would be like, wow, that, you know, here's a person who had a terrible impact on society, killed billions of people, including people who were connected, to, who were part of my family, connected to my family could have yep. been me could have been me would have been yes. me if i was alive back then and mm-hmm. the fact that something is being decorated or still exists on the, on that level would make me feel as, like an outsider in that society would definitely mm. make me feel uncomfortable being there and would 100% make me not want to live there and so for indigenous australians who do live here and aren't going anywhere because this is this is their this is their home yeah When we say, well, if you're from Townsville, oh, you don't think of it like that because you moved there because you play on the footy team or whatever. But what about the Indigenous people who do? Well,
0: what I'm referring to is who's going to have the greatest impact or what's going to be the greatest impact on society? Because I understand where you're coming from. But at what point do you stop extrapolating that out? Because there is the Autobahn, which was a byproduct of Hitler's government, and there is Volkswagen. Which is, so should Volkswagen exist? (laughs) I think is, no, I'm asking like under that concept because Volkswagen was a construct of the Nazi government. So I think like everything, there's a lot of nuance that's got to be taken into that question. Mm. I feel like I'm walking into you know, playing devil's advocate on something where no, I could be really no, considered as heartless. Yeah, but- no,
1: no, 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 I, I, You should. And I appreciate And that's the point of this podcast yeah, yeah. is for us to have those discussions and for us yeah. to po- poke at inconsistencies in each other's thought processes. So mm-hmm. I appreciate that you say those things. Um, Cause I
0: think Volkswagen is interesting. Cause it's a, it's a thing, like a bridge. You know what yeah. I mean? Like what you said at the start is there's a big difference between a giant
1: Batman statue and <laughs> yeah. and and a, and a bridge existing. Let's um, um. So Ruth wrote on the Facebook group, um, on the off air podcast community. She said, um, she said, yes, we should change the names, um, even if it's dual naming. It's surprising how controversial it is. We just had a new bridge replace the old one over the Clyde River, a.k.a. Bundu. It seemed obvious and respectful to just call the bridge Bundu but lots of people are against it. I watched an episode of Sam Neill's doco on Cook and a Maori academic was discussing the importance of traditional names and how disempowering it was when Cook renamed places. I remember the outcry about converting about reverting to Uluru from Ayers Rock, but within 10 years it became very unusual for Ayers Rock to still be used. If we want reconciliation and to decolonize the country, reverting to traditional names is critical. So, they, uh, yeah, I think that it's interesting that she brought up um, Ayers Rock and Uluru as an example, and it will be interesting to see that the dual naming Clyde River and Bundu is happening. We'll see if that takes over. Um, I am extremely pro uh, uh,
0: reverting back to First Nations people's language when it comes to landmarks. I, uh-huh. I, 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 agree. I very much support that because... The most important thing to culture is language and they did a great job of trying to eradicate and take power away from people by taking away that language. So I really like that. It's when it comes to physical structures that it becomes a hard,
1: hard conversation. Yeah. And it keeps going forever, exactly as Mm -hmm. as we touched on. I don't think we're going to get to the bottom of it right now. Um, do Do you think that they should do the bridge? Let's just do just the bridge. Nothing else. You think they should do the bridge? I don't know
0: enough about the context of the people. I don't know enough. He was bad. Look, if
1: he killed a lot, like he killed, like he massacred.
0: (laughs) He was really bad. I I assume that he probably was. And and do I think that they should is a hard question. Do I think that they will? Yes. Yeah.
1: Can I give you a tiny other bit of context? You know how I said there was an electorate. They changed the name of the electorate.
0: Well, because of this,
1: yeah. Well,
0: ta- like Tasmania is an extremely, it's weird because I think a lot of people think it's like some backwater. Tasmania is an extremely progressive state. Totally. It's probably the most progressive state well, in Australia. because you
1: have two arts towns, Launceston and yeah. Hobart are both like incredible, like food, wine, arts. Yeah.
0: Mm, like <clears throat> super green state and um, super progressive culture. So I think it will happen. Does it offend me that it is happening? No. So in that respect, I guess the answer is yes, I'm cool. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, Yeah, totally. Yeah. Do the bridge. Story number three. This is a really interesting one, Tim, and I think you're going to find it very interesting. It, it's based around a story that was on ABC recently, and it involves a girl called Prue. And Prue was celebrating her 20th birthday at a bar, at which point she had her drink spiked, which I think every single person listening right now Either has a friend who has had their drink spiked, or been, or accused people of having their drink spiked, or
1: they have had their drink spiked. Something themselves. just came at one moment, came into every single person's head right then. Yes, one hundred percent. Exactly. It happened right. to me. Yeah, I'll yeah. tell you mine in a minute. But yeah, go on.
0: Yeah, cool. I'd love to hear that story. What, well, not cool that it happened, obviously. No, but Prue's story: uh, a man approached her at the bar. They were having a conversation. She turned around. Then, she, then he has put something in her drink. Uh, she's turned back, drunk her drink, begun to hallucinate about half an hour afterwards, gotten in a really bad situation. Fortunately, her friends were able to get in contact with her mum, and her mum came and got her, which we all know that story could have gone way worse. Mm-hmm. Where I think it's interesting is when she got to the hospital, and this was in Melbourne, uh, in Brunswick Street, she asked to be tested. And she was dissuaded by the hospital for having a drug test because they said she could potentially then have on record that she has had drugs in her system. And there's no way that they could um, prove that that had happened by spiking. And it could have
1: wow. a negative
0: impact moving forward on employment opportunities and a whole host of different things, Oh. which I did not even know existed. No. I did not even know existed as a situation. Uh, But because she was dissuaded, um, she decided not to be tested Mm -hmm. and therefore they couldn't really do anything about it. And apparently this is a really big issue and it's actually leading to our statistics around drink spiking being way off. Totally off. We have no idea how prevalent drink spiking is, how often it's happening or where it's occurring because there is a lot of pressure put on predominantly women. It is is predominantly women who have their drinks spiked Um, a lot of pressure socially being put on them that they're either making the story up or that they're lying about being spiked or that they've taken the drugs under their own volition. Uh, And and there's a real cultural of of fear around it. So, first of all, I'd love to hear your story.
1: I had no idea about that, and I want to get into it Mm. very soon. Um, Yes, I've had my drink spiked. Um, I believe that... um, they were trying to spike somebody else's. So it was, I was probably about 23 at the time, maybe 21, 22, 23, something like that. I was living in Sydney and I was going to a female friend's birthday. Um, I was very good friends with uh my friend Lauren in high school. And um I was the only guy invited to this. It was it was like basically a girl's night out. I think we'd done a dinner and then gone out. And we were in King's Cross at some type of clubby thing. Um, and I was, it was a period of time in my life when I was on a no drinking stint. So I, maybe six months or something of no drinking. So I was 100% sober and 100% sure of the fact that I was 100% sober. Mm. And, uh, I was with this group of girls. I had ordered a Coke from the bar I had put it on the bar behind me, turned around and was dancing, maybe like two or three feet in front of the bar, and then turned back and taken my drink, had a, had a, a couple of sips. And within 30 seconds, I felt my whole body go completely rubbery. It was as wow. if I was the highest that I've ever been in my life from a couple of sips of this drink. And all I can mm. say is I thank my lucky stars that, um, that I hadn't been drinking alcohol that night, because if I had been drunk, I probably would have just gone, Ooh, the alcohol is really hitting me. Like I wouldn't have been able to put my finger on exactly what, what that was. Whereas I was so sober. I went, wow, there's something in that drink. And my assumption is that, uh, all of our drinks were kind of together. And I think that somebody would have thought, okay, that's a big group of girls. I'm going to hit that. And hopefully it takes one of them down, and I would say again, my lucky stars that I hadn't been drinking, and and like the groups, it was so lucky that it had happened to me, the only person stone cold sober, and so I kind of had this like very strange bodily experience, and I turned to them and I said, "Okay, we got to leave. There's something in this drink right now," and so we left. We went to another place, and I like it kind of went out of my system because I, I probably ate something or only had some water. two or three sips. Yeah. yeah, but if I drank the whole thing it would have been a totally different story. So that's my experience with it.
0: Yeah, it's wild. I had a girlfriend uh, in my early 20s and I had to go pick her up from a pub because she'd had her drink spiked. And uh, it was really curious to me because you did see those stereotypes of people saying, oh, she's just had too much to drink. She had too many shots. That was not the case. As soon as I got her home, she soiled herself and threw up on my wall. Whoa. Um, so she was not in a good way yeah. and it was not, this is someone who I'd seen consume large amounts of alcohol yeah. before was a and not be thing. affected in that. It's a very different yeah. thing. Um, Okay. Int- there has been, interestingly, there has been no new research done on this in 16 years. Into what? The number of drinks spiking? Into drink spiking. Into drink spiking in general, which I find... Incredible, because I always think in our society that we are moving forward at the moment, Mm. and we are becoming more accepting, and we are accepting women's word more, especially with the Me Too movement, Mm -hmm. Um, and and we are looking more into pill testing at festivals. Mm. It is a real uh, abuse of power. And I've heard oh, of yeah. people even spiking drinks just, for, sh- just for, fun. for shits and giggles. Yeah, and not even yeah. spiking
1: it with, like, I'm going to knock you out, but spiking people's drinks no. with drugs, just like I'm just going to fuck MDMA. with them a little yeah. bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: and, and I find it interesting that I hadn't even heard about drink spiking, really, or it's not really on the radar of things people are talking about, but it's something we all have an anecdotal story about. And it's something that, in my opinion, should be super illegal. Like on the same level as, as sexual assault or because you're taking right the right
1: of someone's consciousness away from them. And you're also forcing something into somebody else's body without their consent. So it's a huge exactly. thing. You're poisoning them. Yeah. I would say that like there's definitely the argument that floats around. People discuss things like rape culture. And mm. I've definitely heard a lot of kind of men's rights activist type people say, oh, rape culture is not a real thing. This is a very hard and fast example of the fact that it 100% is a real thing. And the fact that mm. the hospital um, dissuaded somebody from having a test, uh, I, I would say is a, is a real definite pinpoint moment of something that needs to be fixed. My question is, if she had done the test and it had come back, yes, your drink was spiked, what's the next step? Because the problem there really continues and continues. Yeah,
0: there really isn't a great deal of recourse mm. at this point in time because you, it's very hard to track down the person. Mm. And quite often the person doesn't end up ta- – quite often it's another person that ends up taking the girl home. Um, and then secondly, and this is anecdotal evidence from this report – Police are not taking it particularly seriously because it's a situation in their minds where it's a lot of the girl who cried wolf.
1: Well, and this is a massive problem. And this is, I don't know if this is going to make me sound like an asshole or something, but Mm. having experienced drink spiking, having seen, I've seen friends have drink spiked. I have also been in the total opposite situation and Mm. have had female friends who have cried drink spiking a lot. People who I've been with a lot who I have seen consume a lot of alcohol more than they should and then start acting very, very drunk and go, I think I've had my drinks back. It sounds arsehole to say, but that also happens. And that's a real problem is the fact that there are people that are contributing to this who are saying, who are using this as an excuse for, you know, not really knowing how to drink responsibly. And it doesn't help. Which is a bit...
0: I I know what you mean. And, and you probably, you know, if you've had eight shots of tequila, then that's probably going to affect you in a fairly negative way as well. Look, I think when you, when you bring that up, it speaks more around the fact that Australia most certainly has a binge drinking culture. And it's something that we, we as a society probably need to work better on. We are, we are renowned internationally Mm. as binge drinkers. Mm. Uh, and that's where it's probably more interesting is uh, having lived in Scandinavia in a formative part of my life, they are big drinkers, but they are not binge drinkers and they don't drink to an excessive point. Whereas we celebrate from basically the age of 16 to 26, we celebrate binge drinking. It's it's not only as a part of the culture, but it is basically encouraged on a high level. So I think Australians in general, we have a fairly negative, um, negative, negative, attitude towards drinking which, which d- probably, probably doesn't help this. which
1: probably doesn't help i would say is a separate issue but also they are de- they would definitely be linked so yeah yeah
0: and so that's where it's interesting what i'd love to see is more research more accountability more belief from um positions of authority i think research is that like surely we should at least fucking look
1: into this where is this <laughs> when, when you were saying um, when you said it, then it's going to be on your on on your what chart or your statement or something, and that could come back yeah. to bite you, what situation does that happen in exactly? Because I, I know that um, if you're applying for a job, they can find your criminal record. Are they getting your hospital records? So
0: they said that if you test positive for something, that could go on your permanent record and that could affect your future job prospects in cases where you have to declare that you've taken drugs. So I'm assuming it's potentially... For things involving law, uh, things involving the military, I don't know, lab tests maybe maybe politics in some respect I'm not I I work in we've we've both spent most of our adult lives working in media which which (laughs) uh, I can't say I've ever been drug tested I love (laughs) that there are
1: jobs where they're gonna look into your history and find your hospital records to figure out if you've ever taken drugs or not we don't need them to do that we have a whole podcast where we bring it up up. (laughs) 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 well
0: mining I'm assuming maybe some mining jobs as well Um, that time is probably
1: it's probably it far happens. out of the loop of the real world that we are that we, yeah exactly we're like what are these jobs all right <laughs> <laughs> what, you know, okay. what do you mean like like they're making sure you have or <laughs> yeah, which is in that scenario? <laughs> let's get out of here nick thank you for chatting this week Great, very interesting stories. Um, I'm g- gonna keep my finger on the pulse for the Batman Bridge. I will, I'll and I'll let you know what ends up happening with that. Um, and very illuminating to learn about the drink spiking. Do you have a nick pick, a recommendation it's a quick for nick me? Pick. A quick nick pick. Nick picks. It's a quick nick pick. A quick nick pick.
0: Uh, It's from a podcast. And, and, and this is the, you know, basic bros that we are. Mm-hmm. But I think both of us occasionally listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. He was recently chatting to a theoretical physicist called Brian Green. And something really interesting came up in the podcast. You can check it out on Spotify. Uh, essentially, there is an AI company which has created four songs called The Lost Tapes of the 27 Club. And if you're not familiar with the 27 Club, it refers to a, a whole bunch of artists across several generations that all died at the age of Kirk 27. Kaban, Marilyn Manson.
1: Marilyn Monroe. Exactly. Sorry. Marilyn, Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe, is Yeah, uh, Is Marilyn Monroe one? Yeah, she died at 27. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Either way. Um, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, uh, a whole bunch of people, they have used AI and they have programmed the AI to listen and break down these artists and create the songs that they would then, their next single basically. Nah. I don't. Nah. Spooky and weird. Are they good? The, are my the songs
1: good? There's no way. They're good
0: enough. They're good enough. That's the weird thing. So, the one I think is the best one is the Amy Winehouse one. It's called Man I Know. The lyrics are a bit jumbly. The lyrics are. A bit yeah, funny. but they always were. Yeah, exactly. They tried it, I it's said, good. no, no, no. Yeah. I'll give you a little taste of it. Yeah, okay.
1: Well, you know, I got no idea. I got nothing to say It's all wrong. And I like to get on going. Trouble is showing. With this it's too real. It's too real for my liking. It's way too
0: real. I just, for some reason, the second I heard it, I imagined myself sitting in a bar in Tatooine in Star Wars listening to a computer play this. <laughs> but it's bizarre. Check it out. It's okay. a really rattling feeling. I don't know why, but I feel a real visceral emotional reaction to listening it's to very it, knowing sp- that it was created from a computer. That's really spooky.
1: It's really spooky. Yeah. Um, My Nick Pick is not for you, unfortunately, Nick. Normally they're for you, Um, but this week it is not for you. Uh, a very broad one. If you're in Victoria, go see some comedy because the Melbourne Comedy Festival is on and it wraps up at the end of this week. There's like all this amazing comedy, the best of a lot of Australia and some, a small number of international comics that have managed to come here to do it. Um, uh, yeah it wraps up this Sunday so far we've seen Nikki Britton and Dan Muggleton who were both absolutely hilarious so I would recommend them awesome. specifically but really just go see anything because these artists have b- been able to do nothing for the last year they've missed their whole like Adelaide Melbourne, Sydney, all of the festival runs so go get around it, support them come to Melbourne for a night and uh, yeah if you're a Bendigo person hit me up, we'll hang out, we'll go get a drink do I say something, we end it? Do I say something else? do we say it? I'll say it. Okay, go for it. No, that'll do. That'll do. Okay.
0: Like and subscribe.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now we're going to put that in. You've been listening to Off-Air. Remember to like and subscribe.
0: People are entitled to their sexual proclivities.